We're going to be today in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. We're in a series over the summer studying the life of David. And Pastor Seth talked last week about how much the Bible dedicates to the life of David. Like, we talk a lot about David. There's a lot of real estate in the Bible dedicated to David and the life uh, that he lived. And I love what Eugene Peterson says about David. He calls him emphatically human. Uh, Meaning that when we read the pages about David, uh, we get to see not an ideal life, not a perfect life, not like an Instagram filtered version of a human life. We get to see a real person living life. Like a real life. We, we get to see him fighting. We see him praying. We see him worshiping, loving, sinning, being angry, being devious, being generous. We see him mourning. We see him dancing. We see all the different aspects of his life. And I'm thankful that this is in the Bible because you and I, guess what? We live real lives. <laughs> we don't always have perfect ideal versions of our lives. We live, we live real human Lives, And it gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to follow after Jesus in the midst of all the ups and downs that we will surely have in this life. Pastor Seth did such a great job last week uh, setting up the context of uh, really the whole series in general. And he, he wanted to bring you into the picture of the people of Israel, uh, a picture of, of what they were doing, of really their heart at the time. Uh, and he made this phrase, I think he said it probably 19 times in the message. <laughs> he just kept saying, he was just hammering it home, right? And it was that humans make really bad kings. Okay, humans make really bad kings. Yet in this life, for whatever reason, we have a propensity to either make ourselves or other people kings and rulers in our lives. We allow other people or ourselves to sit on the throne of our heart, a seat that is reserved for God and God alone. And we see this phrase, and I'll tell you, as I was preparing for this uh, series, I've been doing some reading and some researching for the entire series over the summer. And when I got to 1 Samuel 8, which you talked about last week, um, man, I, I just, I had to take a step back because I believe it's one of the hardest things that we read in scripture. It says this in verse seven, it says, the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying. It is not you they have rejected. They rejected me as their king. I think that's so difficult to sit back and watch and see. That they didn't, they weren't rejecting Samuel. They were rejecting God as their king. And we take a moment of reflection and we think, how many times have I removed God off the throne of my life and allowed something else to take its place? A sobering thought that we have. Today, we're going to be really introducing David as a character. We're going to go to a moment in time when he was anointed as the king of Israel. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And so we're we're introduced to three characters here. Uh, We're really familiar with them as well. We see Samuel, the last judge of the people of Israel, also a prophet at that time. Saul, who was the first king of Israel, but Samuel has already told him that his kingdom and reign are coming to an end. He was the guy that, uh, when the the people of Israel said we wanted a king, they wanted a king like all the other nations. They were so busy looking around that they didn't look up to the true king that they had in their lives. And so Saul takes that spot. 
And then lastly, Jesse is David's father. And I'm going to give you a thought that has been uh, bouncing around in my head since I read this passage many weeks ago. And it has nothing to do with the sermon, but I think it's going to bless you this morning. So I'm going to tell you what it is. Y'all ready? Okay. Uh, It's so interesting to me that when God speaks to Samuel in this moment, he's mourning about Saul. I'm reading this. He's, He's mourning what has happened to Saul. And he says, get up and go do some things I have for you. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I was reading this. And it said, how often do you mourn the things that I've removed from your life? It's like one of those moments where you're like, hey, chill out, you know, (laughs) like, like, whoa, how many times do you mourn and long for and reminisce about the things that I removed from your life, the things I knew would hinder you, the things I knew would distract you, the things that were keeping you from the purposes and plans I have for your life, and yet instead of walking in the better thing that I have for you, you're sitting here mourning the thing that I took away. And it might be, that, it might be the, the show that you're watching, got to take this music, this app. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a, a possession of your life, and God has removed it, and you still are longing and mourning for it. And I'm here to tell you, God has better for you. God has something else, and it's better than the thing that you thought was good for you. God knows it wasn't good for you. That's why he removed it. And you can walk in the thing that is better that God has for you. Verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled uh, when they met him. They asked him, do you come in peace? I think this is like such an odd way this played out. Uh, It always strikes me when people like Samuel uh, begin to, when they're timid and afraid of doing what God asked them to do. Like this dude has done a ton of stuff for God. God has provided for him in miraculous. He himself is a miracle. Like like he's got this long past of, of God moving in his life and he's like, hang on, what about Saul? He's like scared about Saul. He's, he's worried about how it's going to play out. And rightly so because he's seen Saul do some crazy things. But, but it just strikes me as so odd that Samuel would do this. But he ends up doing it. He ends up going. And then and it's funny because he gets to Bethlehem, right? And the people come out and they're like, hey, are we good? <laughs> like, hey, are, are, we, are we okay? You know, like, I don't know if you're, like, your spouse has ever come home and you could read on their face like something's not right. You know, like you meet them like, hey, is everything okay? Like, are we going to be okay right now? That's what they do. They're like, hey, we're good because Samuel, number one, is a, is a judge of the people of Israel, right? And he's got this long history of just being a mighty, powerful man of God. Like, he had influence with the people. Uh, he, has, he has proclaimed things that came true. A lot of times he'd come up and he was going to tell people what they were doing wrong. They know that he just did this with Saul. They know that he, he had just proclaimed that the kingdom uh, of Saul was going to come to an end, that God was going to anoint a new king. And so they're thinking, A, is he about to come say something bad about us? <laughs> you know, they're like worried like, that he's going to proclaim something negative. Or they may be concerned that if Saul hears about it, what is Saul going to do if they know that Samuel was here and he was, he was doing some things inside of our town? And so rightly so, they're, they're confronted with like this. I'm not sure if everything is good, but Samuel puts their minds to ease. In verse 5, it says, Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. This is the single greatest moment in the household of Jesse. Like to have 
a judge and a prophet of God come to your town and anoint somebody in your family to be the next king is just an indescribable moment uh, in the life of this family. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Uh, Samuel is positive that this first guy is it, Eliab. Like, he's just positive. It, it would go on to say, like, he has the looks of it, much like Saul did, who was handsome and he was a head taller. Like, Eliab has some similar features. Like, on the outside, he looks good. He looks athletic. You know, like, he looks built. He's the one who, it, who should be it. He's the firstborn of his family as well. So Samuel looks on, he's like, this is it. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. We're going to come back to that. That is the main spoiler alert. <laughs> like That's the main part of this whole message today, okay? We're going to come back and look at what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart. But there's a few more things in the passage we need to see. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. It says, Jesse, oh, Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so we see here, uh, Eliab comes out and walks across. Abinadab, Shema. Number four, <laughs> number five, number six. I wish they had names. Number seven. And the whole time the words of the Lord are echoing. The Lord has not chosen this one. And I think Samuel asked a question that only the Lord could have led him to, to ask. Uh, because if it was me, I think I would have I given up, just to be quite honest with you. Like, if we go through seven people and it's not the one, I'm like, I'm misheard. Like, God is not the problem here. I'm the one who misheard. Like, I missed God. It's, it was Joseph, maybe, instead of Jesse. You know, like, I got the name wrong. The address was in Bethel, not Bethlehem. You know, like, I, I went to the wrong place. I heard the wrong name. I don't know what's happening. But Samuel has such a tight and uh, great relationship with the Lord that instead of thinking that, like, he's off, he's so sure that he's in the right place at the right time with the right family, he asks the right question that gets to the absolute heart of the matter. Verse 11, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I don't know about you, but uh, anybody play like dodgeball growing up? I don't know people. I don't think they're allowed to play anymore maybe, but uh, I'm talking about like real dodgeball with the big red ball. That's, that's the kind of dodgeball I'm talking about, right? You ever get picked last? It's the worst, right? <laughs> Nobody likes that feeling, okay? Nobody likes it. But when you're picking a team, if you're playing pickup basketball, you're picking, picking a team for dodgeball, uh, you know what you do? You look on the outward appearance, right? Like you make a judgment call on who's really athletic. Okay, like I'm going to pick that one for, or if we're playing dodgeball, I know somebody has a good arm. Like I, I saw a guy I, went, I played high school baseball with, he's in here today, like this dude had a cannon for an arm, right? I'm picking this guy, right? Because I know he's got a good arm. I know he can throw. I'm picking somebody with some athleticism. I'm not picking the person reading the book in the corner. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's fine. I don't, want to show my, I don't want to show my dodgeball team. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to win this thing. When we're picking teams, we're going to judge by the outward appearance. Is that not exactly what we see happening in this story? 
Everybody's going by and we're judging by outward appearance. Listen, we live in a culture in a time that is really consumed by prioritizing the exterior. Like we focus on the things uh, on the outside, ways that we can look good in front of people. You could Google right now, 10 ways to make your resume stand out, right? It's like all these different schemes to make you look good. Maybe think about social media. Think about our interactions with social media. Like, you may follow some things that you just enjoy watching, but I bet you, you uh, the vast majority of people on social media are on there because it can make them look really, really good on the outside. Like, I can put a filter and I can Photoshop my way to a really, really good exterior and never have to reveal what's going on inside of my heart. If you listen to the conversations we have, I can guarantee you that if I was to come up to you after church, be like, hey, how's everything going? You're like, man, I'm really struggling with pride right now. Like, I've just, my ego's a little bit out of control, and I'm having a hard time reining it in, right? Like, when we talk about conversations, like, you don't disclose the things that are happening on the inside. We don't talk about what's really going on in our lives unless we're really close, and it's probably not going to be in a public setting. It's not comfortable. We don't like to talk about the things that are actually going on. We talk about the things on the exterior. Got a new promotion at work, right? Just bought a new boat. My kids are, little Johnny hit a home run last weekend. We talk about that, and those are great, and we want to talk about those things. But I think it's also an indication of what's happening inside of our hearts, is that we want to project to people an exterior that looks, man, really, really good. We talk about our jobs. We talk about our stuff. We talk about our kids' accomplishments. We even brag about, like, when we have babies and they have, like, cool measurements, you know, like, they're big, they're long, you know, whatever it is. I, I could never do that. My, my kids only had one thing in the 90th percentile, and it was head size. It's like nobody wants to, like, and, and then if I ever said anything or somebody found out, they would always make fun of me because they're like, and we know where they got it from. You know, it's like, this is, this is not, I'm going to keep this quiet. I'm not letting anybody know what's going on here. David didn't have the resume of a king. You could look on the outside of David, and there's nothing that would have given you an idea that this guy was going to be the next king of Israel. He was working a job by himself, isolated, out in the field. He was the youngest of his family, not only in age, but he was really the least of the people of his family. He's so much so the least that you would think that this is the greatest moment that his family is going to be a part of, and he didn't even get invited. Can you imagine what that would be like? I imagine some of you have felt that way as well. You felt overlooked, misunderstood, not invited to be a part of what's happening. And I want to encourage you this morning that even though his own father overlooked him, God saw him in the field. And even though he didn't have the resume of a king, he had the heart of a king. He may not have had the resume, the trophies, the accomplishments, the accolades, the appearance, but he had the heart of a king. Verse 12, so he, had, so he sent for him and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord, it came powerfully upon David. God operates on a different grading scale than you and I do. God is, 
He's not grading on what it looks like on the outside. God grades on the heart of the matter. Now, what David lacked on the outside, God saw plenty of on the inside. And I love how the Bible describes David's heart. It says this in Acts 13, 22. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him. He says, I have found David, son of Jesse. And if you have a Bible, you should circle this, highlight this, underline, do whatever you got to do to make sure you come back to this. Because I think if there was a goal for you today, this is it. Like if, you, if you want like the, the end product, my hope and my prayer for you when we finish today, it is that you have some awareness and some really just passion about going after this last thing that it says. That David, son of Jesse, he was a man after my own heart, God's heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What greater thing could be said of the follower of God? Then he had a heart after him and that he would do everything that I asked him to do. And so the question we're going to answer with the rest of our time today is what does it mean to have a heart after God? We're going to look at three different ways. Number one, a heart after God follows his lead completely. It follows his lead completely. Parents, you know this principle to be true. Partial obedience is what? It's disobedience. My kids are great at this. We try to teach them right, right away, all the way. We're teaching. <laughs> you know, we're, we're working through it. I, I got one kid that'll do it right away, but he'll, he'll do what he, he considers the bare minimum requirements, you know? Like he'll put up your shoes and he'll come and like, this is like the doorway of his room, you know? And he'll set that thing. It's like one centimeter inside of the room, right? He says, and he's like, done. I'm like, no, no, you didn't put your shoes away. I didn't say put them in your room. I told you to put them. Zoe, on the other hand, my oldest daughter, uh, I told you she's either way up or way down. She'll just straight up ignore you, okay, like for a few times. So it's like, hey, Zoe, go put your shoes up. Hey, Zoe, go put your shoes up. Hey, Zoe, go put your shoes up. It's like fourth time, I'm starting to get angry, right? <laughs> like like it's, it's, it's like lifting up inside of me. And then, and then what happens is one time I will go to say it, and she will move one single muscle. And I'll go, Zoe, go put your shoes up. She's like, I am. She yells at me, you know, and somehow I have offended her in the process of trying to get her to put the shoes up. And she's been sitting there the whole time. It's, it just blows my mind. I haven't. I don't know, pray for me, you know, <laughs> like, I need your help. The reason that I try to teach them these things is because, number one, I want them to learn what is right and wrong. Number two, there's going to be a time in life where I really need to tell them to do something, and I need them to obey right away and all the way. Like, maybe I see something that's coming up, and I say, hey, no, no, I need you to do this. Don't question it. Don't talk back. Like, I need you to do this. And so we train because I oftentimes can see something well beyond what they can see, and I think the same is true for God. He's asking complete obedience on our behalf, A, because he wants what's good for us. He knows right and wrong. And, and God doesn't, we see down the road, God sees around the corner, he's down the block. Like, he's got the full picture of what's happening. And oftentimes, he's asking for complete obedience because he doesn't want something to happen to you because he sees what's going on. Like, he's trying to protect you from something in your life. And unless we can completely obey and follow his leads, we, we may still experience the effect of, of that. This is the goal of our church. Our vision is, is simple. It's to, it's to bring our friends and family to hear the life-giving message of Jesus Christ and become fully devoted followers of Christ. I always thought that was kind of like a, like a, a double, like a really redundant thing because to be devoted, it would be fully. <laughs> you know, so it's like we want to be devoted, devoted followers of Christ. I love that. Like fully sold out for the things of God and following after his lead. I want to give you what I consider to be one of the best indicators 
of if I'm willing to follow God's lead completely. And it's what do, what do I think about when I think about God's word? How do I interact in my day-to-day life with God's word? Because it is one of the primary sources that God uses to lead us in our lives. It's a story that tells us all about him and what a relationship with him can look like. And so my Uh, my relationship with God's word is probably a direct indicator to how open I am to being led completely by him. We see this in David. I I don't want to, I have a couple verses, but I'm going to give you the kind of the Cliff Notes version of it. If you read Psalm 119 this week, okay, I think it would give you a great picture of how David would interact with God's word. It's all about how he loves God's laws and decrees and everything like that, commands, statutes. He uses like a dozen different words to talk about the law. But over and over and over again, he expresses his deep love and desire to know more about God's word. And it helped him be led completely by God. Number two, a heart after God is humble. A heart after God is humble. I love what C.S. Lewis said about humility. He describes the humble man like this. He says, he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. I love that. I think a lot of times we think humility is, is maybe like beating ourselves down to where we're nothing. But I don't think that's true. I think what humility is, it's having your identity secure in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And you don't think too highly or too lowly of yourself at all because you're so focused on the things of God. As C.S. Lewis says, I'm not thinking about myself at all. And that's what we see in the life of David. Uh, while he is tending to the sheep, really, he's serving his family. Like, he's taking the role of a servant in his family. And to be a servant is to be humble because you're putting other people in front of yourself. That's what I love about our church and to see so many people come in here week after week and they're serving and they're volunteering and they're not worried about, man, I got to get up early to get ready. I may have to deal with some heart, like maybe this baby won't stop crying or whatever it might be, Right? I'm not thinking about the difficulty that it's going to have in my life. I'm focused on other people that, man, somebody needs to come in and hear the gospel today. And I'm willing to put myself aside so that I can serve so that that person can hear the gospel today. Or maybe they're going through a hard situation in their marriage and they need to hear a word from God today. And I'm going to do my part, not thinking about myself, but I'm thinking about other people. That is the role of a servant, but it's also what it looks like to be humble, to have a heart that is humble before the Lord. I want to ask you a question this morning about humility. It's this. It says, if God sent someone to look for you, would he find you doing the last thing that he told you to do? Are you serving in the area? Are you doing the thing that God asked you to do? That's what David was doing. I think it's so interesting in this passage when you read about David. Uh, He's out with the sheep, right? He's tending to the flock, and he gets called in. Uh, you go into the story with David and Goliath. His, fam- his older brothers go to war. You know what he's doing? He's with the sheep. I, also, when you read this story, it is this one and the next one. Uh, David and Goliath is in the next chapter. They're butted up against each other. And it looks so interesting because he gets anointed. And if it's me, we're throwing a party, right? We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a good time. Like, we're going to do something. It, it, it changes over to the next chapter. And I, it makes it seem and appear like David went right back to the sheep. He just kept doing the thing that God told him to do. He said, hey, one day you're going to be king. He's like, great, I got a job to do. I'm going to go serve. He had a humble heart to do what God had called him to do. Are you doing the, thing, the last thing that God asked you to do? I think so easily we can get focused on the future 
He could have certainly got focused on the future of being king, but he didn't. He said, this is going to be on God's time, and I'm simply going to do what God has called me to do. You also see not only in, like, his position uh, in his family and what he did, you also see how he's humble in the way that he talks. Uh, several times in Samuel, first and second Samuel, he says this phrase, he says, who am I? Like, he's just, he can't get over the fact that God's blessing him. And he's like, who am I to deserve all of this? From not only God, but from people. Like, Saul wanted to give his daughter to be married to him. He's like, who am I to be able to? I, can't, I'm, I come from nobody. I can't be a son-in-law of the king. God's blessing him. He's like, I don't, who am I to be able to do that? He, he had this personality that led him just to be humble before the Lord. And you may be in here. And you feel like God has only given you a little bit. I want to encourage you this morning, don't, don't discredit the little. God uses the little to prepare for the much. There's a verse in Psalm 78, and it talks about how David was the shepherd of sheep so that he could be prepared to be the shepherd of Israel. And so God uses the little in our lives to prepare us for much. Don't discredit the little. The, the other person in here I want to encourage uh, this morning is the one who feels like you've been faithful and you've been serving and you think that God has forgot about you. I want to encourage you this morning that while nobody may see you working, God sees you working. God sees you in the working. I heard this beautiful quote. It says, we never know what God might be growing in the fields of obscurity we might be tending. You never know what God's growing in the fields of obscurity that you're tending. You don't know what God is working on, but you don't have to doubt God is working. And so don't discredit the little, but also don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Continue to be faithful even if you feel like nobody sees you where you're at. Number three is this. The heart after God strives for integrity. Strives for integrity. Now, I want to be cautious here because what I'm not saying is go earn God's love. Go do a bunch of stuff so you can be forgiven, saved, and God will love you. That's not what I'm saying. That is a free gift of grace. We don't earn that. However, the Bible is clear God says, be holy like I'm holy. That he gives us a standard of, of life that we can live to. And that's what we see in the life of David, that he, he strives for integrity. In Psalm 78, we referenced it earlier. If we go down to verse 72, it says, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart. He had integrity of heart. It simply means innocent, upright, wholesome unimpaired. It's not a, a standard of perfection that we're trying to live to, but I do want to live my life to the fullness of what God, of how God would want me to live it. I want to do everything that God would ask of me. But I am cautious because I know that by nature, I want to hide things. I want to put on a mask. I want to cover it up when things aren't going well. And because by nature we want to prioritize the things on the outside, I want to caution you this morning that I mean, you need to have those people in your life, number one, that you can go to with the things that are going on in your life. Don't hide them. Number two, please don't try to hide them from God for two reasons. Number one, he sees it anyways. And there's no hiding before God. Number two, he's the one who can do something about it. Like, if, you're, if you feel like, man, I don't have integrity of the heart. I don't have that innocence, that purity. I'm not living to be holy as he is holy. Don't run from God like he's going like to, like, strike you. with like, No, run to the Father. Run to the one who has forgiveness. Run to the place of grace and mercy and allow him. He doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to take you to a better place. 
He wants to remove those things from your life so you can live out everything that he has for you. We got to be a people who want to be pure and have integrity um, of the heart. Even David would pray this in Psalm 51. He had, he had messed up majorly. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. God, I love that prayer. And I want to close by saying this this morning. God's still looking for hearts. Just like he was looking in the, in the field to a little boy who was tending to the sheep, and he saw a man after God's own heart, he is still looking for hearts today. He wants to find hearts that are fully committed to him. It says that in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking for those hearts. And I want to pray for two groups of people this morning. If you would, go ahead and stand your feet. I'm going to pray for you. You may find yourself like, I've put my faith and my trust in God, but my heart just isn't on fire for him like it was. Like the, the flame has died out for whatever reason, distraction. Maybe there's been some sin in your life, whatever it is that allowed you to pull away from him. God still wants your heart. He still wants to cultivate a heart that is fully devoted to him. And then maybe you're in here and you say, I've never experienced the love and grace of God in my life. I've never experienced his heart. My heart has been far from him. It's been running away. God wants your heart today. He wants your heart today. If you would bow your heads.